refreshing doesn't have to mean like a whole brand new creative. So sometimes if a creative is fatiguing, like it was at one point performing really well, and now you can just tell it's been filtered through the same audience too many times. Sometimes we will literally update like just headline the same image we'll update like literally just a couple colors or something like that and it will start brand new this is the customer acquisition show the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business hello and welcome to the customer acquisition show i am your host tom meredith the vp of marketing here at tier 11 this is the show where we bring in the team from Tier 11 to talk about what's working, what we're trying, and offer ourselves up to answer any questions that you might have on your own accounts. Today, we're joined by Susanna Scherer, Rachel Hawksmeyer, and Daniel Green, our, some of our genius creative here at Tier 11. This is our first fully creative show, and today we'll be talking about creative strategy and some of the other things that we're seeing working right now on the creative team. Welcome. Hey. Hello. Hey. I'm very excited to have you guys here. This is the old crew back together from back when I was on the creative team. Daniel was too. So I guess let's just kind of start off with uh, what's working now with creative. Things are actually now, but of course, like the first obvious thing is I think like these more TikTok looking ads are definitely working in any kind of account. Yeah, that is like a killer. And I know like me as creative team lead i don't work that much with the accounts of overview but rachel can probably also share something of the accounts she's working with or recently has worked yeah so honestly we've seen a lot of the ugc content working so that's been a major project that we've been working on is how to get that more streamlined and on a consistent basis and Really, a lot of the things that I've seen working are things that I wouldn't think are going to work. <laughs> so, yeah. like something that I'm just, I've learned is just over the years, if even if I don't like it and don't think that it might not work, let the audience decide that because sometimes the things that you don't think are going to work usually tend to kill it for like weeks, <laughs> months. <laughs> That's yeah. like the performance marketing, right? Like it looks terrible, but you don't know if it's good or not because as, if you haven't tested it, you don't know. And then these things that look like, oh, God, I would never want to see that on my Instagram or some of my feed. And then it's like killing it. Yeah, that's like the bane of our existence as design. Yeah. It's like something that's like, okay, I'll make it. Like yeah. I, I made an image for a, a hemp-based bomb like a year or two ago. You guys probably remember this. And made all these pretty ads with like nice mock-ups and made it look all good and branded. And then I also just took some pictures of the actual product. And it was like on top of a white cube lamp against an off-white wall. And the picture, the white balance made it look like super beige. And for some reason, we were like, let's just see what happens. Threw it on there. And then that picture beat every ad we ever created which that's where we got the, the hashtag beige power. Beige power. Yeah, you'd never expect that to be the winner. And who it knew? It's, it's the wall behind me. That's what yeah. wanted out. You turn these lights off. The wall's the winner. The winner wall. Yep. That's funny. I think it's one of the harder things when hiring creative people. I know when we were going through the process of hiring art directors, it's such a big shift for people to switch from being so design-focused to letting go of their ego and just tossing it out into the algorithm and hoping for the best. It is difficult. How have you guys made that change, that mindset shift? I know there's a lot that we 
put out there. And so that's not going to my portfolio, but maybe I will tell somebody someday that it generated $20 million in sales. Yeah. It's hard sometimes when something that you spend hours on and then like one of my recent top performers was I wrote one of our winning headlines on a a little post-it note, took a picture of it next to a little plant I have in my office and that killed it for months. (laughs) So it's hard sometimes, but like at the end of the day, like a win is a win. So it feels really good. But I think I've just learned to not get married to any of my designs. Like just don't fall in love with anything because I can be proud of it as far as the skill that went into it. But as it's in the marketplace, it's like, it might not work. So yeah, for me, it wasn't the same when I started in performance marketing. I was so confused. I was like, why am I doing these things? It doesn't look good, but it works. And at some point I was like, okay, we're creating ads and it's not art. It's not like I put my whole heart into it and I, I need to look at it every day and say, oh, what a masterpiece. No, it just has to work. That's the thing. It's a different kind of design and a different kind of way how you think creatively when creating a, an ad, I think. And now I got used to it. Now I'm just like looking at it like, all right, this could work. And personally, I'm just thinking, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> but then it works and you get so much information for other things and you can apply it to so many other things and then it works for other accounts and stuff. It's very insightful and also a lot of fun, to be honest. Like it's always very exciting to get the numbers back. You're like, oh, what happened here? It's fun, I think. Yeah, we took Rachel's like post-it note idea and we actually did some ads for tier 11 using that same idea. Look, Rachel. I can't speak to the performance of it, but kudos to Rachel for giving us some ideas. Attempted to not burn myself during that. (laughs) Yeah, so we were running with a burnt theme on the tier 11 marketing where don't get burned by bad ad agencies. So we had Rachel do the post-it thing and burn it. And it did work pretty well for uh, generating leads as part of the overall campaign. And I think that's something that's to take into consideration. Like in most cases, these aren't standalone creatives. Like they are part of a bigger suite of creatives because the algorithm does such like a good job of finding the right person at the right time and showing them the right thing, even if it's hideous and nothing that you're proud of. But I think you hit on something there, Susanna. You have to shift your creative thinking. It's actually like taking your creative thinking a level up, right? It's not like the creative thinking that goes into a specific ad. It's really like, how am I going to accomplish a certain goal with whatever limited assets the client gave me or I can create myself? How do you guys approach solving or bridging that gap between what the goal is and what your end product is going to be. And I guess fundamentally, this is creative strategy. Like that's the strategy. Yes, it is difficult when you start. It's like I said, you come from, I know we all come from a creative background, like graphic design or video or whatever. And there you always look at the aesthetics of things. Whereas here you really need to look and have the knowledge and okay, this works, this, these are the numbers, etc. So my tip is always look at the numbers first. <laughs> what has worked before? That is the best insight you can get. What has worked before for this account? What has worked for competitors? What has worked in general, like trends? So you split it up in what has worked for the client itself, what has worked for competitors, and what's happening in the market, I would say. These are like the main elements you should look at. And based on that, based on the research you're doing then, you then form your own creative strategy in terms of, okay, I see this is working. And then you start getting ideas. 
by looking at other things. So yeah, it's like a different kind of creative thinking, but it's also a lot of fun, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. For me, you mentioned backgrounds. Like I came from here with a background in professional sports, like broadcasting and then corporate training. So like I stepped into marketing and I was like, what is this? Somebody teach me marketing real quick. And it's been an interesting mindset because I for sure came from that. Does it look good? Great. The feedback I'm getting is, hey, that looked cool. Good job. Versus, hey, this made us money or this didn't make us money. Yeah. So that was a huge shift. Like for me, kind of going back to your question a while back, Tom, was the mindset shift was like thinking outside of myself and just like making a customer focus or a customer's customers, a client's customer, my focus. And that I think is a big thing. But yeah, to Susanna's point, what helped me with that shift and developing strategies was learning how to look at numbers, learning how to find signals within things like Facebook comments or reviews and seeing what are people talking about and allowing that to drive your strategy. Yeah, definitely. That's how it is. How about you, Rachel? You've been at Tier 11 the longest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my background is Tier 11 and then Tier 11. I mean, I've always been in like the advertising world, I guess, but like I started as graphic design and throughout like my schooling, it was always make the most refined thing. Take We would take like a whole semester to work on one project and just refine it as much as you can. And this is knock this out in two hours. And so that's another mindset shift is like, how do I get this message out? But I think a lot of it is psychology. That's the main thing that I learned when I got into advertising. And one of the kind of like biggest things that made me it was just the psychology behind it. And so really like digging in and figuring out who you're talking to and all of that. And then once you know who you're talking to, you can get inside their head. And then when you're looking at your product or service that you're trying to direct ads to, you just think like, okay, if I was this person, what would make me want to get this? And so that's like getting inside of that. And then like Daniel said, looking at comments and things like that to actually even get further down and see how do they even talk to each other in their communities? Like, how do I talk to them in their language and stuff? So yeah, a lot of it is mindset and psychology, which is really fascinating. I think that's a good point because I still to this day, like I understand the basics, like the numbers behind media buying and stuff. I could not go set up a campaign and (laughs) run a successful campaign. So as a creative, I think the psychology aspect of it is a huge component to how we operate in advertising and marketing. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of reading, literally like going into the rabbit hole of reading something. And then it's a lot of also just sitting down and thinking. It's like creative work is sometimes you can't sit down. Okay, I'm going to be creative now. You have to read all the things. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, what do I do with this? And then you actually have to sit with it for a little bit. And then... I sometimes I go to the gym and then I come up with creative ideas. It's like I'm still working, but doing something else because I can't be creative if I just sit locked up somewhere in a room. I'm like, okay, let's come up with this strategy. Like, no, (laughs) all the things I just read, I need to go outside for a little bit. 20 minutes or something and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do this. I have all these ideas. You get back to your computer, write it all down and then it's all good. And sometimes I feel like that's a very underestimated in like creative work that it takes a little bit of time to come up with something. 
because you have this information overload, you're reading so much, and then your brain is just like trying to process everything. Yeah, creatives don't historically have the most organized brain there. Yeah. Cue Tom's tabs. <laughs> yeah, I closed them down about three weeks ago, and I had 400 tabs. Oh my God. My, my brain right. goes. I have a lot of tabs. I cleared them up yesterday. I was crying a little bit. It was very, not easy for me. I was like, ah, I might read this later. But um, I created a spreadsheet now. Gosh, I have four tabs <laughs> open, guys. <laughs> Full yeah. computer might die if you have any more open and try to live stream. Because <laughs> I just restarted before this. <laughs> I've had a chance. I think that kind of, sorry, I was just going to say that I think like even talking about the tabs, like just being able to like, I think the fact that all of our brains move like a thousand miles a minute. And like, I know that I've had people look at my computer and they're like, how do you have 10 things open? And you're able to like bounce back and forth. But that's part of being successful at this as well as being able, you can be fully in something. And then all of a sudden, like you'll get some information back and you have to completely do a 180 and be like, okay, I guess we're dropping everything and we're going to iterate on this week, like something completely different. Because in the time that I've been here, I've seen things shift from it was static images that worked really well. Then it was like bright colors. And then it was really short, fast, like videos. And then it was super produced videos. And then it was, and now it's like more the UGC organic stuff. So you have to be ready to shift like along with the market because it can change constantly. (laughs) It does change constantly. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things I think for creatives is that they have to be like the brain has to be everywhere, pulling in information, being on the social apps, seeing what's trending, what they like for stuff that's not even necessarily related to their clients or reading and being inspired by other things and just loading the brain up so that when you do go to the gym or in my case, go take a shower and let these things come together to inform your next creative decision. Daniel and Rachel, how do you remove yourself from the creative process so that you can allow your brain to think of what's next? I usually just do like really mundane tasks, like tasks that do not need my brain power because Mm -hmm. there's days that I will get off work and I'll literally just tell my boyfriend, I'm like, if my brain could hurt, like it does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have decision fatigue, like I just need to lay down. And so I I tend to do things that like require no decisions. It's just like, all right, I'm just going to fold this shirt. I'm going to go feed the dogs. Like I'm, I do mundane tasks. And usually once my brain is able to like, just not have to think about stuff, that's when all of a sudden, like an idea will pop in. Yeah. I feel like I'm probably the exception. I think I've got pretty good endurance and can just keep going and cranking stuff out. My biggest thing is actually like the, like eye fatigue and things like that. My neck starts to hurt. My eyes start to hurt just from staring at a screen So the biggest thing that always helps me is to go find a window and look at whatever I can see that's the furthest away. It sounds ridiculous, but if I go, so we're, our house sits like at the top of a T of streets. So I can look straight down a street out of our front window. And I'll always just go, look, there's a flagpole at the house at the very end of that street. I'll go look at that flag. I have weird things like that I'll do. Other than that, like if, if I'm not working, I'm dealing with kids. So that's kind of trained to just keep going one way or another. I imagine they have some kids riding by your house saying, there's old man green just staring out the window. <laughs> I'm 100% and I'm waiting for them to step on my lawn so I can yell at them. I'm already old and senile. <laughs> Frisbee lands on my lawn. It, it's done. That's mine now. That's crazy that you can just like keep working because I definitely need a break. Yeah. And 
I'm not saying I don't get creative fatigue. I think I just know myself and I know the way I work. And like, I know that if I find a groove, like I'm good. And that's the biggest thing. Now, when I hit a wall, I'll be like, all right, is this do like right now? No, great. Let me just do a different video. And as long as it's not like an iteration that's almost identical to what I was working on, I'm good. And I can just keep pushing through and I'll come back to what it was and finish it. But yeah, there's creative fatigue for sure, but I don't, I'll just push through. Maybe that's why my eyes and my neck start to hurt. (laughs) We talk in five years, you're probably like, yeah, I don't know if you even survived this, but. That's why I have energy drinks all over my desk. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what it is. (laughs) That's your secret. Here we go. Now we're going to get down to it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about uh, one example of what's working now is post-it note ads where you take a real life post-it note, write your top headline on it and take a video or image of it. Another thing that we've seen recently, and this is something that you did, Rachel, is we have a, a law firm coaching client who have traditionally used a certain type of ad, but you did something different. Can you tell us about what kind of ads you normally make for them and then what you did differently and how that's performing? Spoiler. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) And spoiler, it's one of those ads I didn't think was going to work. So yeah, we, they host a lot of masterclasses. And so a lot of our typical ads are just who the speakers are like very general, what you would see for like a webinar masterclass, just the title of the webinar, date, time, all of that. This time around, they were doing something that was more towards like civic, like your civic stewardship in law and like the importance of that. And so an idea between me and our copywriter was to have an image with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And this was like a last minute idea just thrown together. And it's literally just her on a background, like a white background with a quote from her and it has been just crushing it. Like it was the top ad and now we're trying to see like where else we can use it. So yeah, it's sometimes a thing that you would never think would work. What do you think about that made it work? And I granted, think, we never know, but we yeah. always like to <laughs> post justify ourselves. Yeah, I think it's just so different than what we've normally done and it also could look like something that is just like your aunt shared like it just it looks like something that could be extremely organic and it's definitely eye-catching in the feed because it is just a big quote and then I think why it's working with that audience is like we have tuned into who that audience is so well that they resonated with her as like a leader lawyer so being able to see that now we're like okay they this audience resonates with this we are talking to the right people and they are taking action yeah, and I wonder if there's still an element of timeliness there with her image yeah. coming up. I don't know that you could have put just some random stock photo of a, a judge or a lawyer on there with a quote and it would have performed the same. Yeah, there's, it was definitely the authority. Yeah, there's definitely an aspect that's run through advertising for a long time and that's associating your brand with an authority in the space. That's what Nike does. Like they don't sell shoes, they sell their association with these athletes. Or if you think back to that old Apple think different commercial, they show like Einstein and Gandhi. It's like associating themselves with people with certain ideals. And I think with somebody so recognizable and then adding in some a quote and potentially a link to the web, the brand, like that really connects everything together. Is that something you guys think you'll try with other brands, like finding an, a, a traditional authority in the space to associate yourselves with or your brands with? 
It's something that we've already looked into. I also work with a pet like medication company and we've been trying to get like veterinarians who can come in and speak, vet, like veterinary pharmacists come in and talk. This has been something that has been on our mind, but now we have a little bit of case study to back it up. <laughs> and do you think about going like the opposite direction with Justice Roberts or some other somebody on the other side of the spectrum? I don't know if we've thought that far ahead yet, no. but it'd be interesting to try. <laughs> Cool. All right. So it looks like we get, are getting quite a few comments in. The first is from Tyler Green. How often should creative be refreshed? What are some of the key indicators that tell you that creative should be switched? It's really like, how often should it be refreshed? That really depends. Like sometimes you have an ad that you're running for, I don't know, two months or something. What was the longest ad you had been running, Rachel? Like sometimes they're really long. You just have them. Yeah. It really depends. Like the post-it note one, for example, like that was a top performer for months. And so it's, it really depends on the ad and all of that. And yeah, but sometimes it can fatigue in a couple of days. (laughs) Yeah. You have to see. And I would say like, once you have that kind of ad, it's interesting to take that ad and I create a new creative test or something about that and see if you can even top that performance or something. And this way it's like easier not to have it fatigued or something. And usually you just look at the KPIs also depends what the client wants then again, like what are the client goals with in terms of KPIs that needs to be defined before. And then it's very easy to see, okay, are we hitting these goals or not with this creative? And then if you hit it, great. (laughs) If you're doing even better, great, keep it running. But as soon as you're under these KPIs, you said it's out of, yeah. Yeah, Tyler, it's going to depend on the ad itself. I'm thinking about the longest ad I ever had running. We had a still have a lawn care company as a customer here at Tier 11. And I don't know, like three years ago, we, we had this before and after montage created. And it just killed it for some reason. It was super simple, low res images, but it just killed it. And we tried beating it for two and a half years straight with anything and everything we could. And it just kept performing and we kept it running. You're going to run into instances where you're just going to see something that's going to keep going. But my easy non-media buying answer from a creative standpoint is have the numbers tell you when you need to refresh it. That said, I think there probably is something to be said for always creating something. I don't think you should just wait around for a signal because then you're going to be reactive. I think you need to be proactive. But to Susanna's point, come up with ways to test against a winning creative or iterate on a winning creative. I think that's the key. But my, my easy way out answer is have the numbers tell you what you should do. Yeah, I think it's pretty important that you always just stay on a pretty consistent pace of as Dan mentioned, trying to beat the creative that's there. You don't ever want to be caught with stuff that all of a sudden fails. You should have enough creative always coming out, trying to beat what's there. And I'm not even sure you need to switch anything off. We have a golden rule here. If something's working, don't turn it off. And you see, I'm still seeing Black Friday ads for people because (laughs) it's working and it's hitting whatever their KPIs are and and their profitability goals. So if it's working... And you're okay with it. You got to let the ego go and not let it turn it off or turn it off. Yeah. Yeah, And sometimes refreshing doesn't have to mean like a whole brand new creative. So sometimes if a creative is fatiguing, like it was at one point 
performing really well. And now you can just tell it's been filtered through the same audience too many times. Sometimes we will literally update like just the headline, the same image. We'll update like literally just a couple colors or something like that. And it will start brand new. So it doesn't always have to be completely reinventing the wheel. And if anything, we've been learning that you probably shouldn't reinvent the wheel. Like just try to make iterations of what is there and what you know is working. Yeah, I remember there was a phase. Susanna, this may have been before you were around, but there was a phase where it was like, what trivial changes can we make? (laughs) And that was a test. It was like, what if we just changed this one color of this one small shape? Will that trick any algorithms into thinking this is a new image with it not being a new image? That was a fun time. It's always that testing mindset of, will this work? Yeah. And if you are ever stuck for ideas, you go to your competitors and just replicate what they're doing. Because if something's working, that means the algorithm knows how to deal with it, who to serve it to. And the more you can replicate what's working for others and yourselves and iterate on that, I think the best, that's the best likelihood of success for you. Yeah. All right. So next up, we have Monica Afghania. I'm not going to try that. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Is what is the difference between the ad creatives for B2C and B2B businesses in your experience? That's an interesting one because there is a difference, I would say. Like the B2C ones I worked with, yeah, I would say it's a little bit more content because it's like change. It's the team, say, in my experience. Any B2C company I work with, creative tends to fatigue a little bit faster. So you need to come up more with a strategic plan, I would say. Okay, we're going to test this and this. You have different tests. And then you need to be very quick to change the test or see, okay, this is performing well. Let's make some small changes here and there. That is like the main difference because B2B... The, like the our clients we work with, I would say a little bit more relaxed. <laughs> you still need a lot, but it's not like as harsh as we perceive. And then we always get these fun things like you mentioned before with yes. the quote. That's like, no, oh no, but that's like a course and stuff. So that, but yeah, like in my experience, that would be a thing. Like B2C, you need to, to be a little bit more like aware and you need to be really on top of things and have a back off. I think it's also so on both ends you need like authority and you need to back up and have them trust you before they take action I think it's like different of how you do that so b2c it's more like emotional maybe driven things especially depending on what your product is and then b2b it's more like authority and that type of stuff more functional things instead of more the emotional side yeah, you have to represent, like, I think, different values there because it's true B2C is very emotional and then consumers have very different emotions. That's what I meant. You have to be on top. You have to read like all the comments daily. Okay, this is an interesting angle. Let's test this. Let's test that. B2B is, yeah, like it's more trust-oriented, I would say. So you don't have that many angles most of the time to test. But yeah, that is, I would say, the main difference. But I think the similarity there is you're still having to, as a creative, when you're developing a strategy for either, you're still trying to discover what problems do they have and what solutions can you offer or what solutions can this business offer them. So there there is a lot of similarity there as well. 
that you always have this problem desire. Ralph, our CEO, refers to it as the problem desire paradigm, not paradox, paradigm, I think, that it's always going to be there. There, if You can always tie into those sort of emotional problem-driven aspects of any potential customer. Yeah, I think it's, we have our whole camp like framework, but really like the levels of customer awareness, and it's really putting yourself into what that customer needs. And if it's a B2B, like that customer has different needs and wants and desires than somebody who's B2C, right? B2C, they want an outcome for themselves for a certain, from the use of a product. Where with B2B, it's about education. If it's somebody who's not the owner, they have decision makers that they have to deal with. They have, they want to make themselves look good. They want to protect their job. And it's really trying to give them the information that they need to come to you and help you make a buying decision. But the thing that we've been finding the most at the tier 11 marketing is really what we call like top of top of funnel educational content. It's not easy to attribute sales or leads to that, but it is something that fundamentally has changed the amount of leads that we're getting by the amount of content like this that we're repurposing everywhere and putting spend behind to get in front of as many people, possible prospects that you have out there, just showing them that you have expertise in this area. All right. Yeah, sure. Any other thoughts on uh, B2B versus B2C? So, Suzanne, I'm going to toss this over to you since I don't know much yeah. about this. I know you've been doing a lot of work in something called Pillars. So oh, I'll yeah. hear all about this. Yeah, here to 11, we did a shift in how we do creative because it was required of the market. Before, I, w- I would like to touch upon how we did things before, which was very much focused on, okay, we have an idea for a hook. We have avatars, like different buying personas. Let's test this out and see what happens. <laughs> and then we got a lot of feedback from clients that wanted to get like deeper insight and go deeper into the testing methodology and all of that. And that pushed us also to overthink, okay, how are we actually testing things here? What are we doing? So recently we came up with this concept of pillars, which is basically value propositions for any kind of product we promote online. Yeah, we go through a whole process of doing research everywhere, like on platforms, on the client, on competitors. And then we see basically what kind of different values can we like promote for this specific product. And we call them pillars. So you could have a health pillar, for example, and then within that health pillar, you can say, okay, we want to test an angle that's promoting health or we want to test an angle that's like a little bit of a negative twist or something like uh, question, whatever. So it gives us like the opportunity to organize our testing way more. And then we can also track it better because we can see, oh, all the angles within the health pillar are performing well. Let's come up with more health angles, for example. And yeah, that is basically it. It's not something like completely crazy new or something. It's just, I guess, we organize ourselves a little bit better because, yeah, like we said before, we're creative. It is difficult for us to organize things sometimes. But I guess with creative strategy these days in performance marketing, you really need to be organized because you need to know, okay, this worked there. And then, okay, we iterate on this. Yeah. It just gets messy quite quickly. And also with these pillars, it's easier to communicate that also back to the client and they get a lot more insight on what we're doing, 
how it's working. And yeah, we've seen quite a lot of success with this new strategic approach with clients. It really sounds like it's a way for the media buying and the creative team to be on the same page quite a bit better of like the methodology for testing. Because I know that's something that we've always dealt with of them wanting us to go into like ads manager to go look at what's working and that's not really being comfortable because we're going to turn something off that should that we shouldn't do. <laughs> yep. But it seems like a great way to get on the same page. And how does this align with the sprint process that you and Josh developed? Creative strategy basically is the bridge between media buying and creative. And I guess a lot of people are probably struggling with this because you shouldn't see the media buying team and the creative team. They both need to be on the same page to create performing ads, basically. And with the sprint process, basically how it works, every two weeks, you just meet up and you discuss, okay, what pillars did we test? What worked? So you go through all the things like, okay, this is what we tested last week. This is what worked. And then basically the art directors at this point come up with new ideas already on what worked. And so you can also discuss new ideas. So the media buyers can also bring in, hey, I had this idea. Art directors can bring ideas, copywriters, etc. So you just discuss ideas, which is very important because if you're alone, it's not as easy to come up with ideas. Other people have great ideas too. And then you get inspired once you work in a team. And then you also align these ideas and how they fit into your new testing, basically for the next two weeks. So it's literally just like getting on the same page and making sure you have your strategy and you know exactly what you're doing. And if the client asks, what are you doing? You know exactly what to say. Amazing. That's what it sounds like to me is this helps provide a lot of transparency, which yeah. is something we're at tier 11, we're fully remote. I think the closest person to me is three and a half hours away. Okay. All of us are in different time zones, I think, on, the, on this live stream right now. So it's very important to be transparent with people and be able to communicate easily within the agency, but even more so with customers and with people who you're working directly with within the agency. So that's cool. I've, it sounds like this offers a lot of transparency and just ease of communication. Yeah, because communication is not easy. I feel like it's often underestimated. I mean, for us, it's true. We all work remotely and my communication style has completely changed, I would say, over the last two years. <laughs> you have to be more on top. You have to be curious. You have to ask questions and stuff like that. And you also have to sometimes just drop a note like, hey, I'm working on this. Because when you work in an office, people just like get the vibe. Oh, this person's working <laughs> like on this project, whereas remotely, you don't know. And it's the same with customers and clients. And through this whole creating pillar documents, presenting them our research, presenting them the testing and all of that, that's just our way basically of communicating to them, look, this is what we're going to do. It builds trust and it's very transparent. Also, clients can give their ideas, which we then can also implement in a new sprint process for the strategy. Yeah, it's just everyone being on the same page, really, and everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah, the whole thing that you said about trust, that's something that I've seen a lot since we've been doing more of this strategy. It's, it's always something that we did, but customers didn't really see it. And so now that we are talking about it and presenting it to them, I've been on calls where we've done recently a couple of QBR calls, the quarterly business reviews, and we go through some of our strategy. I, I can see their like eyes light up during the call, just 
seeing how much thought was put into it and like they can really see where we're going with it and that there's actual data and ideas behind it instead of just like are they just throwing things against a wall like it's us being able to prove ourselves we have thought behind this and they can collaborate it's very much more felt like we are in collaboration versus they've just hired us and we just like work for them it's working together now so it's been really nice I think it really addresses one of the biggest challenges we have with creatives in performance marketing, and that's reactivity, right? Everything is always reactive. We need this now. Things are broken. Go make something new. And this really sets a path forward for being proactive and managing expectations like this is what we're doing. But it also gets everybody excited and really continues a strong working relationship if everybody's on the same page and looking forward to what's coming next. Rachel, I know something that you've been owning a lot lately is really developing our UGC process. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so really UGC is something that has been working for a really long time. If you spend five minutes on TikTok or Reels or anything, you will see one. And some are more like obvious that it's like actors, but then others actual UGC, but both are working, honestly. I think it's just something people want to see like this whole influencer content and things is just very relevant. And originally we had always approached it of getting just one video front to back, we can maybe repurpose it once or twice. But then after that, it's okay, now we need to find a new one. So our new strategy is getting these little UGC like content bits. And so getting like different hooks, different testimonial clips, different problem solution clips, getting all of these things that we can then like, I always call it Frankenstein together and we can swap out like hooks so we can use the same testimonial video, but then swap out the hooks. And it just allows us to test a lot further with some little clips than just if we got one solid video. So that's been our approach. We're dialing in how to get that, like the best way and most efficient way to get that. But that's our strategy of getting these little clips that we can reuse and repurpose multiple times. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How are you? How have you been sourcing UGC? So we've tested a couple things. We are in the process of testing Billow, which is a more common app to get UGC content. And I have been using casting networks, which is like legitimately actors on there go through the whole process of like auditioning and stuff like that. And with them, we've given them more like really hefty briefs. And that's where we've been getting a lot of content. But yeah, it's they're out there. <laughs> Influencers are out there. This is a very relevant thing right now. And yeah, it's just a matter of having the right strategy to get the kind of UGC you want. Because something I'm learning is there's even like different levels of UGC. There's like super organic where you might have an incentive for your actual customers, 5% off your next order if you send us in a video those will be a little more rough or you can get the super high influencer with a ring light and then everything in between. So yeah, it's been interesting to be a part of this world. <laughs> yeah, I think we had a customer who they may still be doing that, but that was an incentive they offered. If you sent in a video, like a video review, you got a coupon code or something. They had that set up on their site where like anybody who bought could submit a video and then it just goes into a catalog basically. Yeah. Tom, we used to, we tried something at one point, was it incense? 
Yeah. You remember? Yeah. It's interesting. It's been around for a while. UGC is a huge thing. I always find it funny thinking about my my youngest sister-in-law. She's much younger than the rest of the family. And it's been funny watching her like grow up because she's like, I want to be a YouTuber. You think 10 years ago, that was it? Like people were getting big on YouTube. Then it was like influencers become a thing. And then that transitioned everybody over to UGC is now a thing. And I could get paid good money doing that. So there's plenty of opportunity, like you were saying, Rachel, they're out there. And I think it's a cool, just a cool market in general. That's even a thing now. And there are all these people wanting to do it. And the opportunity that provides us as creatives, I think is really cool as well. So talk a little bit about how we went from being like passive and getting UGC where we would put a lot of the emphasis on clients to source it themselves from their own clients and being a lot more methodical. And you started to go into this a little bit, but talk how you not only do you come up with these ideas for these different blocks of Frankenstein, but also how do you coach the creators? Yeah, so we have, since we've been doing this pillar work, we've narrowed down these are the different things. And the thing that I like about the pillars is it's not particular to an avatar, it's usually particular to the product or service. So it is relevant for any avatar. So we can get anyone to talk about it, and it's usually pretty relevant. So since once you get the pillar, then I dove into everything possible to like Reddit and like the reviews and just everything, like everything that I could see customers saying, like actual customers saying. And then it's basically like rewording to refine what actual customers are saying, but in a way that like we have added a little bit of our direct response (laughs) language in there that you wouldn't probably get from a more, I guess, true, true like UGC sent in video. So then from there, then it's yeah, coming up with the different hooks. So just something that's eye-catching, that's still something that we always look for, just something that's going to stop that scroll. So something that's just like, hey guys, I have to tell you about this thing I've been trying. Just something simple as that. And then just getting those little clips and then the problem and solution sections, again, just dove into some of the more negative reviews. And we're like, okay, what are the problems that people had? And like, maybe going on competitor sites and seeing like what was lacking over there that maybe this our service can offer. So yeah, it's really just like digging in deep and doing a lot of research ahead of time. And then just figuring out how that person would actually talk. So it's really genuine. And then just from there, it's just finding who you think is like a good fit, a good, like good energy. It's been fun to do the sourcing for sure. I feel like a casting director, but yeah, it's been really fun. I'd imagine that a lot of the research you're doing is also no pun intended influencing like the look maybe of the person you're trying to find too. Like you're trying to nail a demographic for your content creator, basically based on like reviews you're seeing and whatever demographics you can find in your research. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you're figuring out how they talk, and all that so it's like UGC it's a little bit different than our normal kind of briefing where we're like how do we talk to that person to get them to take action this is like how would they talk to each other like person to person how would they talk just if it was someone just on their like Instagram story that's usually how I approach it is like I I figure out what message I want to say. And then I'm like, if I was just going to pick up my phone and say this on an Instagram live, what would I, how would I say it? Like how you, it's definitely more casual. Yeah. 
do you find there's much back and forth between you and the creator to get it done right or the way you want? If you do a, like a, the bulk of the work ahead of time, hopefully not. It's a little bit different because our kind of strategy of getting these little clips is different than what a lot of them are used to. They are used to just someone sends them a product and they just give their little review of it. So it was a little hard to tell them like, no, we just want you to say these ra- random sentences. It's not going to feel natural, but trust me, it'll look good in the end. <laughs> so it was a little difficult getting that kind of through, but yeah, it's, you basically just have to tell them what your vision is that, trust me, this is going to seem weird, but we just want your raw cuts and we will make you look fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Magic. Yeah. <laughs> Fix it in post. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of the raw cuts, what do you guys end up, how do you end up cutting it together? Is it like one final piece or how do you get multiple? Yes. <laughs> all of the above. It's, it's, that's like kind of the point of all this is like, you can have a video that just has like just a hook and a problem and solution. You can have the hook testimonial problem solution call to action. You can mix and match however you want. So Essentially, you have to start knowing what you want to test. So if you want to test your hooks first, if you have different hooks for different maybe pain points or these different pillars, then you can create a bunch of videos with a few of these hooks and then let that test for a little while. See if there's one that works better than others. Take your learning, iterate on it, maybe add a different testimonial to it and then just go from there. So that's how we've been approaching it right now. Sounds like something that takes a lot of time. It does. How do you go about managing expectations for the client or even the growth strategist? It's been a learning curve even for me because I didn't even know how long it was going to take. But it's like showing your work along the way is a big thing too. Is like instead of just saying, hey, I'll have this done in a month and a half, like (laughs) showing them the process. And then a lot of it was the upfront of, hey, we're going to have to do a lot of strategy to get this to a place that is going to be worth our time. But if we do this foundational strategy like that, we can take it from there. Like it's just doing the bulk of the work the one time and then we will have all these things to iterate on. Yeah, it's definitely been a learning curve for me because in this like direct response world, I've not been used to working on one project for two months. So this is definitely new to me. Let's talk about new clients. We are always getting new clients. You're always getting new clients coming in on your plates. How do you approach dealing with a new client? Kind of like the same thing. You just need to do a little bit more research than usual, I would say. So for the creative strategy, again, like you do like a complete deep dive because you don't know. It's like getting to know someone, right? You don't know how that client is, what their product is. Maybe you, maybe it's a completely new industry. Sometimes you haven't even worked with that So you really need to take your time to dive deep into what is that client? Where is that client located in the market? How's the industry looking? What kind of things are working for this kind of industry, for that kind of persona on any kind of platform? So I guess it's just a little bit more time you take to do the proper research for everything. And then you start with the same thing. You create these pillars and you see where the values, what are the values, the main values here for this client. And then you start testing. But it's really important at the beginning, I think, to actually get to know the client and know what do they want? What are their goals? And what are we working with? And that sometimes takes 
a little bit of time, I would say. It's not that easy. Like you need to actually take your time to get to know who you're working with. So we've got the deep dive, really understanding the pillars that they're working with and really getting a sense for the client, who they are, what they're looking for from their own customers. I know all clients who come to us have an SGP done, a strategic growth plan, where we do a lot of an initial deep dive into all parts of their digital path, right? So it's not just creative, but like how much of that, what is done there, do you just keep diving in on? Everyone kind of works on that. Of course, we take care like on this creative thing. I guess it's just the SGP at the beginning is also the same thing as like getting everyone on the same page. Like everyone is doing their little research in their expertise and then you get together and you just put it in the SGP and present that to the client. And then you, everyone on the team knows, okay, these are the goals. This is the strategy overall. Now I'm going to go in my little expertise niche and do the best I can there. But everyone's aligned again. And the client is also aligned with it and knows what's going on. And I think that's like the key element of the SGP. I was just going to say, I think for me, anytime I've worked on an SGP or just like helping to onboard a new client, one of the favorite things I like doing, and this might just, this probably sounds bad, but I think it's just part of my competitive nature is doing an audit of their existing ads. And I think just me as maybe the one who's designing or will be designing for that account or will design some examples for that SGP, I'm like, cool. So what am I needing to beat or what can I do to make this better? Or what are they already doing great that I can learn from so I can be better? There's this competitive element for me that comes into it when working with a new client. But I think that's one of my favorite parts is seeing what they've done already or what they're doing currently. And then along with that, part of the SGP is a conversion architecture audit, like breaking down the landing pages, their website, email campaigns, all of that, like after the click stuff. So it's really fun to look through their ads library and see is there consistency from click to after the click at their landing page and all of that. And that's what always helped me when I was working with customers. You know, right now I've been working with Tom doing tier 11 marketing, but when I was working with customers... That gave me a really good insight into the bigger picture of how they've been operating. And that allows me to really think through strategy more effectively because I've seen what they've already done. I've seen what they've been doing, where they're at currently, what issues I might run into based on, okay, maybe historically they've been doing this. If that comes up again, I know why or like how they've been doing it. And there's a lot of info there outside of like the actual customer, like their customers reviews or demographics like their market there's a lot you can learn just by auditing the company itself and like what they've been running and what they're working with yeah something i was going to say is it's contrary to what we were talking about in the beginning but usually in sgps and when a client is onboarding that is when i really like to put portfolio worthy creatives (laughs) like that is when i do things that I do feel like look very beautiful and like really pay attention to their branding because that goes a long way. If I show up to our call during the onboarding process or during the SGP where like we're presenting our first round of creatives, if it's a lot of it follows their brand guidelines or if they don't have a brand guideline, like if we put a rough one together for them, like that type of stuff just 
definitely wows them from the creative side. I still show them creatives that are relevant to like how we work in the DR space where it's, this is how we would talk to your customers at different levels. But I definitely put a little bit more of my brand focused imagery into there just to wow them a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of wanting to reassure them that they made a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> we are talented, but we also know how to get people to take yeah. action. But I think there's a, a big theme here that we've really been hitting on between the SGPs, the QBRs, and the pillars. And that's really analyzing and assessing what's been done so far and then really and then setting forward a path of what we're going to do creatively as a team and setting expectations on what we want to test and try to really build on that. I don't have a question out of that, but... <laughs> I agree. Support that statement for you. Yes, I concur, Tom. Do you, as creatives, find that to be comforting, <laughs> knowing that there is a plan? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Rachel. I think it's comforting in the sense that we can all be on the same page. And so when we do present things to the client, like it's something that we've already talked about. They're aware of it. They know that there's strategy and thought process behind it. So you don't like present things and have crickets where everyone's like, why did you have this? <laughs> so, and the numbers always back us up. So if you went to a meeting showing these images that I took on my phone, it's like, we didn't have the numbers backing it up. They'd be like, what are you doing? Like, why are we hiring a creative team? But it's like, trust me, we're, you're working for our brains, not sometimes the Photoshop talent. It's like, we have that too. But it's like, sometimes it's just the actual like creativity and all of that. So I think it makes me feel better when I do present some of these things that I'm maybe not as proud of, but I'm like, I know this is going to work. <laughs> so it just has our, it shows our work. Yeah. No, I was going to say it's reassuring for everybody, right? Like the fact that our goal is to be so transparent that everybody's always on the same page from start to finish or however you want to phrase it it's reassuring for everybody. And I think it's that idea of like, this may just be how I think of it. We don't work for a customer. It doesn't work for us. Like our goal here is to partner with them. Like we're walking alongside them to grow their business. So having these things in place, like the SG, SGP, the QBR, all of this, the pillars, it's just supporting that goal of actually being a partner and making sure everybody's in a good relationship with one another. And I think that's one of the coolest things we've had when I was working with customers like we were able to have great relationships with the people we're working directly with and talking directly with. So that's how I view all of this. It's just great for supporting good relationships and solid partnerships. Yeah, it helps also build empathy, not within the team, because everyone knows, ah, that person is working on this. Let me yeah. understand their job a little bit better. But it also has the client build empathy for our job and we understand their job also better. So it's just a good thing to do, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, empathy is really important, and particularly the creatives here, because you have to put yourself in the customer's shoes. But also, it is important for everybody in this relationship, as you're mentioning, Daniel, because performance marketing is very hard with so much failure, and you have to ha have trust that people are doing the best they can to continually try to improve performance. Yeah, and it's hard to it's hard to tell people just. Stay the course, stick to the plan if they have no clue what a plan is. If you've yeah. never shown them your plan, you can't really go to them and be like, we've got a plan, guys. Just stick to the plan. They're still going to raise questions. It's all about trust with these things. Great. Do you guys have any more thoughts or questions on you want to bring up here? No. 
No. All right. So I know, I know everybody here is like TV and film buffs. What are you guys watching right now? I know this is when Suzanne and I had one-on-ones. We, we've been like so little time talking about work and just talking yeah. about movies the whole time. So I got to know what everybody's watching. I just watched through all of the Hobbit extended cuts again. The Hobbit? Yeah, I just felt like I felt like watching it. And then yesterday started back into the Lord of the Rings. Oh, nice. It's yeah. I just felt like it was. It was time. It's been a while. <laughs> so nothing new here. Just nerd stuff. I rewatched Ted Lasso the other day because I just love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the best shows ever made, I think. And then, of course, I'm watching The Last of Us. I think there's a new episode today, so I'm excited for that. I haven't started that one yet, oh, but I so did good. jump on the. I jumped on the Wednesday. Finally, I, I fought it for a bit. Whenever those shows like jump out and everyone watches them, I'm like, no, I'm not going to. And then I, we finally gave in and watched it. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Last of Us has been my thing lately. The episode of Ron Swanson is so good. Uh, yeah. I need to watch it. Yeah, man. I, do it. Do it. I know. And Matthew, I agree with you. Severance is also very good. Oh, Everyone says it's good. I started watching it and I, I feel like it's like a thing where you have to like really sit down and have the mindset for us. And I just didn't have it at that base. <laughs> like leave it out said muscle. Come on. Maybe Severed Susanna is really enjoying it. Yeah. Susanna's yeah, not. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but we work from home, right? So where do we draw the difference there? Like how would that work for us? That's a good question. I, what do you guys listen to or watch when you're really trying to be creative? That depends on my mood. Yeah, I was just going to say that. If I'm like writing briefs and it's like a lot of brain work that I'm going to be like typing words, then it's like classical music, lo-fi music. But if I'm design mode, it's like it's like just blasting rock music or anything like hip-hop music for sure is a big one that i just blast yeah depends on what mood i'm in i am obviously if i'm editing a video where there's any talking like i don't have music on but if i'm photoshopping ralph's head onto batman or something i probably have like hair metal or something (laughs) i don't care at that point but then like if i'm in photoshop doing like actual design work for an ad i may have something like snarky puppy like jazz fusion stuff playing where it's like i don't know i can nerd out on music pretty deeply and go into rabbit holes and get distracted really easily so i tend to not search for new stuff when i'm working either but i do know the stuff that like if i'm doing this i'm going to be this type of music for doing this i know i can listen to anything and not care it's not going to affect me but then there are definitely tasks where it's i know i'm going to distract myself if i play anything I'm going to sit in silence, put on my big headphones so I can't hear the TV, like whatever Coco Melon song is on the TV. No, I just always, maybe that's weird, but there's like this channel on YouTube, which has like film soundtrack and atmosphere. They have five hour videos and that's literally what I do in the morning. And then I'm like, do I feel like Lord of the Rings, Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> <laughs> I do today, Star Wars. Okay. And it's literally like just something in the background. The Harry Potter ones are also very good that I usually use for studying. And it's like a fire cracking and you have to, and that's it. That's 
posting it. There's a YouTube channel called Calmed by Nature. And that one has a lot of just like jazz music and like beach and things like that. But yeah. (laughs) Susanna, have you ever listened to the stuff that's slowed down a thousand times? No. Oh, it's a game changer. If I need to focus, I will say that's one thing specifically. Jurassic Park slowed down a thousand times. Yeah. Really? I'm great. It's wonderful. I think the creative channel about four years back that Daniel shared. I think I share share it like once a year (laughs) along with other random stuff. I know nobody will listen to. Yeah. For me, if I'm writing, like doing creative strategy stuff, it's Arcade Fire, like just their whole playlist. And then if I'm designing, it's Lord of the Rings soundtrack because it, I don't, things I don't have to like, I can't pay, I don't need to pay attention to. So it's very much like, this is going to get me in this mindset. That's going to get me in that mindset. And it's so habitual now that if I do that, I could pretty quickly shift into the flow state that I'm trying to get into. But does it get you into a hobbit mindset or like a (laughs) wizard mindset? That's no, it's a very important question. It's very much a Schmeagol, like gone, like like precious. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That makes sense. I don't want to see that. Yeah, (laughs) you don't want to see that. I don't think anybody wants to watch anybody else design no. looking into their brains. I love watching people draw, but yeah, I don't know if I want to watch people design. <laughs> It'd be a lot of just clicking, moving things one pixel over and one back. A lot of size. Yeah. Remember when we used to have to follow the 20% rule? That was the yeah. worst. That was a good day when that got lifted. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know what that is, Facebook used to have the rule of like only 20% of your image could be covered with text. And it was a pain. Oh, yeah. So glad that's gone. I think that's a great spot to end it on. Susanna, Rachel, Daniel, thanks for joining us today. And everybody who yeah. watched, this is one of our biggest live streams yet. We got up to 10 at one point. <laughs> Double digits. <laughs> yeah. But this was super fun. I love these creative conversations and we'll have to do this on a pretty regular basis. Anybody out there who is interested in working for Tier 11, we can go over to tier11.com slash careers. We're always looking for talented, empathetic, low ego, creative people. And then if you are interested in using Tier 11 as your agency, head over to tier11.com and there's a big pink button in the corner offering a growth plan. And that's the SGP that we were talking about earlier. If you, that's something you're interested in, head over there. Otherwise, thanks for joining and we'll see you next week. All right, see ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.